Welcome to episode 315. Does the idea of cooking at Christmas time feel like way more work than you want it to be? And you know you're going to get grumpy or whoever is in the kitchen is going to be grumpy with you. Well, how about we go ahead and add in food intolerances and requests for gluten-free, dairy-free, FODMAP-friendly, no sugar, and all of that stuff. How are you feeling now? <laughs> oh, plus the people that think all of that is hippie witchcraft and refuse to eat anything unless it has a death rating of 400. <laughs> so the good news is that it's all actually way easier than you even know. On this episode, we talk with a food, cooking and gut health expert, not just about how food intolerances can cause really quite devastating and shocking illness in kids, but about how to prepare for big events like Christmas so that the meal prep is easy, so that everyone is satisfied and so that no one is judging you or anyone else for their food choices or their food limitations. There are so many basic, simple, practical tips for you to make Christmas and all the big cook-ups easy to do and able to satisfy everyone's needs. And they're all in this episode. So let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? We are coming into, or we're at, Christmas time. And it's that bit of the craziness where shit just gets a little bit out of hand. However, today's episode is intended to quell the chaos. At least a little bit when it comes to food, cooking, and preparing in the kitchen at Christmas time for people with challenging relationships with food. First though, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And if you'd like to get in touch with me about any of my emotional eating, binge eating or overeating programs and finally create a relationship with food that is peaceful and free of calorie counting and beating yourself up, then please scroll to the show notes below and click the link to start a conversation with me about how we might be able to work together. The link is in the show notes below. Okay, back to creating less chaos in the kitchen. I want you to meet a successful and food famous kind of woman from far north Queensland in Australia named Jo Witten, whom is the founder of Quirky Cooking, which came about because Jo and her four children were all experiencing food intolerances. And so Jo began researching ways to improve their health through diet from the time back when her kids were very young. In 2008, she began a food blog called Quirky Cooking to share what she had been learning and the healthy recipes she was developing for her family. In 2014, though, Joe's 13-year-old son Isaac was diagnosed with severe OCD and anxiety, which resulted in a deeper dive into gut health and food as medicine, which as you know, here on the podcast, I am a very big advocate of. Now, not only did Isaac's mental health stabilize within months, but her whole family saw massive improvements in their health with this food as medicine gut health approach. Jo has since helped thousands of families to heal with food, sharing the principles she learned on her own journey of healing herself and her family. Now, Jo runs health seminars, retreats and cooking workshops, both in Australia and overseas, sharing how to transition to a healing whole food diet in a doable and sustainable way. We love sustainable things. She's also the author of three best-selling books, cookbooks specifically, Quirky Cooking, Life-Changing Food, and Simple Healing Food, which I have in my hot little hands right here. And if you're on the video, you can see it too. And I'll put it in my social media as well. It's a very luxurious feeling book. <laughs> so anyway, Joe, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 
You are so welcome. And you are here because of a fantastic friend of mine named Veronica Smith who runs a food business down in Hobart in Tasmania. So I just want to give Veronica a quick shout out. I reached out to her and said, hey, who's the go-to person for this kind of conversation? And she said, have you met Joe?" <laughs> Thanks, Veronica. We love you. <laughs> um, so you have had such a unique journey to get here. And I'm really mm. curious before we dive into the practicality of Christmas and cooking and food intolerances, and obviously I touched on it a little bit in the intro, like yeah, can you fill in the gaps of the, the journey that you went on in order to be able to get to a point where now you're writing these phenomenal cookbooks that help people heal their bodies so much, you know, outside of the context of just your own family? Like how did you grow to learn all of these different things about human health? Um, I guess I'm a curious person. And I'm also a very um, persistent person, mm-hmm. stubborn, some may say. Can relate. And when <laughs> when my son was, well, I guess it sort of started earlier because I always had health issues when I was young um, from as far back as I can remember. I always had a lot of histamine issues. I was, um, I was sick a lot as a child. I just, like I had a really, you know, outdoorsy kind of childhood, thankfully, but I did get um, colds a lot and I got histamine stuff a lot. And then as I got older, it was the hormone issues and the skin issues and I was underweight and um, just couldn't put on weight. When I was at uni, um, I started going to see a dietitian to try and get help with my skin and my weight. So I was very self-conscious and very quiet and just sort of like shy about myself because of, you know, being, um, having these issues. Yeah. And, um, my diet, the dietitian said to me, um, well, she put me on, I can't remember if it was her or the doctor put me on some kind of medication for my skin, um, and for my hormones. Cause I was having terrible period pains as well. Um, it's all linked. And, um, then they said, she told me to have sustagen on all my food the powder, you know, like sprinkle it on your mashed potatoes and so oh, good. delicious! <laughs> <laughs> um, to help gain weight and to drink soy milk and to take these little lactase enzymes for whenever you have any dairy and um, you know, I would ask. I just had this feeling, this gut feeling, <laughs> if you like, um, that food was a big part of my issues and. I mean, there's other things as well. Like I had mold exposure when I was little, there was all sorts of stuff going on, but, um, food was a huge part of it. And I, I kept saying to doctors as I was sort of going through my late teen years, I was like, well, is there something I can do with diet? No, not really. Except one doctor told me eat lots of chops and ice cream and sausages so you can gain weight. Um, and I just really didn't get the help I needed. I did everything the dietitian said, just so like, I'm a real rules follower. Well, you know, I'm just wanting, wanting the black and white. So I did what she said for a year. I didn't gain any weight. Um, the medication, the creams that they had me putting on my face, peeled my skin off and then it all came back again with acne because of course it's not the outside, it's the inside. Um, and then um, yeah, my hormone issues got worse. And by then I was on the pill trying to see if that would help. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years, married four kids under seven exhaustion. (laughs) Um, then they started having the same sorts of issues and well, obviously not the hormones and the acne at that age, but, um, (laughs) they had the food intolerances. I forgot to mention that. 
um, my little boy Isaac was constantly getting constipated and he would just lay on the floor on the couch, just really lethargic whenever he was constipated. It was horrible. Um, I had two kids that really struggled to breastfeed because of the food intolerance type things, whatever was coming through my milk. Um, and so it was really exhausting and stressful and I kept trying to find the answers and not getting them um, until one day a friend of mine said, why don't you go to a naturopath? I'm like, mm, aren't they naturopaths a bit woo-woo? <laughs> <laughs> crazy hippies. <laughs> Those crazy hippies. I'm like, all right, so what, you know, what have I got to lose? So I went and I was so impressed because like, you know, I'd go to the doctors and I'd have all these issues and I would, I remember saying to one doctor, um, my legs are so itchy that I'm like scratching them till they bleed. And he's like, he basically told me to get a life and get over it. And, you know, I just, I was told to take antihistamines or take this or take that. I was never given an answer. So I went to this naturopath and I sat there for over an hour while he went through every single thing, like, you know, my eyes, my skin, my nails, my tongue, my teeth, everything. He just talked about everything. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Um, and then we talked about food. We talked about gut health and this was, um, let's see, 19 years ago. Um, and he was really like, he drew diagrams of the gut and how it's affected. And I was just like, what? I don't know anything about this. <laughs> it was really good though. And that kind of started my journey. I was also going to a chiropractor at that time who was really into natural health food and everything. So I was getting good advice from her and, um, it all just started to mesh. And I was like, this makes sense. All my life, I feel like I've been asking these questions. Can food make a difference? I've been told, no, it's genetics. No, take this medication. No, put this cream on. No, take this pill. Um, But then suddenly I was being told, yes, food makes a difference. And I started to do what, you know, what I was learning about. I started to change my diet little by little and my health started to change and my kids' health started to change. But, you know, they say you can't walk an hour into the woods and get out in five minutes. Um, It took me a while to get to the stage where I felt like I had really good health, but I was seeing small improvements along the way over the years and trying new things. And like, I'd, I'd sort of try something for a while. I think we all probably did this at first, try something for a while and they go, Oh, I'm not sure if that works. Mm. Try something else and gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, whatever free. (laughs) And around when I was trying all those um, what they call them free from diets and starting to see some changes because I was reducing symptoms, Mm -hmm. not dealing with the root cause. Um, but at the time I thought this is what I have to do. Dairy must be really bad. Gluten's really bad. Sugar's really bad. I've got to get rid of them all. And so, um, when I started my blog, that was sort of my way of thinking. That was 15 years ago this month. Wow. I started my blog. Yeah. That's incredible. Congratulations um, on it being yeah. so successful. Thank you. Um, it was just something that um, I was actually going through a really difficult time and very high levels of anxiety at that time. And sort of when my kids went to bed, I would be like, well, I want to do something for me. You know, I felt a bit lost. I hadn't, didn't have my career anymore because the kids and I was homeschooling and I don't know, I was really exhausted and depleted basically. And, um, very, very anxious. So I started blogging, had to Google what blogging was, but I figured it out (laughs) and, (laughs) um, just started sharing what I was making basically just, you know, like 
how I was taking favorite recipes and tweaking them to make them healthier or dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free, all those things, because that's what I found was helpful at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, doing meal plans for people that wanted to eat that way and stuff. And that's how my blog took off. And, um, you know, as time went on, people started saying, we need a book, we need a book. And I was like, I don't know how to write a cookbook. I said, you can have a calendar. And they're like, no, we want a book. <laughs> I'm like, oh. So I got some help give the from, people what they want. <laughs> I know. I got some help from friends and chefs and different people that I knew that I'd met on Twitter and it was just a funny, funny thing. Anyway, long story. Um, so I started writing the book and around the time of when I was writing it was when Isaac started to go downhill really badly. Um, and he started getting these really strange symptoms happening. Like he had a phobia of the little girl up the road for no reason. She was just this little girl. And mm-hmm. if she came over, he'd run in his room and slam the door and lock it and cry and don't let her over. And, you know, and I was thinking, why is he so anxious all the time? I couldn't figure it out. And so I started I thought, I'm going to go grain-free. <laughs> Next step. I was like, I'm going to go grain-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. Yeah. And I started doing that for a while. And within a couple of weeks, he started to pull out of it. And I was like, mm, that was probably a coincidence. As I start bringing things back in, he starts to go downhill. Right. It's kind of like what I did all my life with, with dairy. I'd be like, oh, I feel better if I don't eat dairy. And then I have, you know, no dairy for a while, feel really good and then slowly bring it back in and then get sick again. No, it was probably not the dairy. (laughs) Anyway, so I kind of did that with him up and down and back and forth and he was good sometimes and worse at other times but then when he was 13 he just crashed big time and um, within probably days he was so bad, like I didn't realise what it was at first but he was having massive phobias and um, repeating all the actions that they do with OCD. And, um, it was like, he was seeing things that weren't there. It was really weird. And, um, it got to the stage where he couldn't feed himself. I had to spoon feed him at 13. Um, he was very scared of rocks closing in on him and like sort of claustrophobic, he still got claustrophobia, but he always imagined that there was all these rocks and he was getting crushed. And so if Right. If you were feeding him and the spoon touched his teeth, he'd just throw it because that was, I don't know, the clink was rock. I don't know. He couldn't wear grey because that's the colour of rocks. He, anyway, he couldn't go to the toilet by himself. He couldn't get out of the car because he'd be putting his seatbelt back off and on, off and on for 10 minutes. He couldn't get into bed. Oh, it'd be awful as a mother watching that happen. By the time he was finally really exhausted, oh, it was horrible. He'd finally start to drift off to sleep at like 11 p.m. and I'd be so exhausted, like I'd be sitting there waiting, waiting for him to go to sleep that I could go to bed. And then he'd just start, he'd jump up in the bed and just start screaming and say, there's snakes attacking me. And it was so, it was so weird. And I just didn't know what was going on. And as you do, you sort of Google and try and figure it out. And I suddenly had this thought, I wonder what OCD is. And I looked it up and he had all the symptoms, including the one of the phobia of a little girl. That was one of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, so I took him to the doctors. We had been to the doctors before, but she hadn't picked it up. And um, we went again and she was like, yeah, she ticks all the boxes. Um, so he started, he was, you know, we were told he needs to go on to medication, antidepressants, go and see a psychologist, all of that kind of thing. And I was like, he's only 13. I don't want him on antidepressants. And she's like, oh, it's fine. You know, people are on antidepressants all their lives. It's okay. And I'm just like, 
I said, look, we were both sitting in the doctor's office sobbing and I said, he can go on them for now, but I'm going to work on this naturally with help with diet and stuff and see if I can help. And, um, I just want to get him off antidepressants as soon as I can. And the doctor was kind of like, "Mm." (laughs) she sort of, um, looked the other way. And I was like, okay, so, um, (laughs) thankfully with all the health seminars that I speak at, I knew a lot of really amazing natural health practitioners and, um, you know, educators. And so I started ringing them and so got some help from them. And basically we went on to the GAPS protocol. I, um, yeah, did a re- did lots of research and decided that GAPS just made sense to me. Um, it's for those who don't know, it stands for gut and psychology or gut and physiology syndrome. And it's a protocol that helps to heal the gut um, like leaky gut, it helps to like just balance the microbiome and get that all, you know, get the, the good bacteria in there and everything working properly with your nutrition, with your digestion. Um, and just it's um, deep nutrition, basically. It's traditional, um, densely nutritious foods. And you just get as much of those dense, nutritious foods in as you can get rid of the foods that are really difficult to digest and that slow down the healing. So the sugars and the starchy foods and the refined foods and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's not as hard as people often think it's, it's kind of hard in that you've got to be in the kitchen cooking every day. Yes. But I kind of do that anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a lot of ways that it actually simplified my cooking. Um, and, and I found it really delicious. Um, it is sad that we didn't have bread for a while. The kids did slam the doors a few times about that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, we did get through that first stage of um, their bacteria screaming for sugar pretty well. Like we didn't do too badly. Um, okay. We were already mostly grain-free and mostly gluten-free, dairy-free. So it kind of wasn't a huge change for us. Um, Anyway, so we started doing that and within two, three weeks, I felt like I started seeing changes in Isaac and I was like, is that the medication or the diet? I'm not sure. Just keep going. So we just kept working on it and my energy levels within two weeks had just changed completely. Like I'd had a nap every day for 10 years. (laughs) I was so tired all the time and my energy levels were just completely amazingly different. Um, I stopped needing to eat every two hours. I could go for hours and hours without eating because I was eating such densely nutritious foods. Um, we all started seeing changes, um, and just seeing Isaac become this happy outgoing kid again was just amazing. And I remember after a few months, maybe three or four months, I said to the, um, psychologist, I said, is this just the medication making these changes? Because I'm worried that it is because I want him to get off the medication, but what if we take him off the medication and he goes straight back to, and he goes, she said, it's not the medication doing this. She said, it's whatever else you're doing. She said, the doctor's usually doubled the dose by now. I'm like, okay, we're doing something right. And about that time we were asked to um, go, I know this could be controversial, but we were asked to go down to um, speak at a seminar with Pete Evans. He asked my son to come up on stage and speak about what was happening because I was doing some recipe development for Pete back then. And um, so we did that and Isaac just got up on stage as if it was the most natural thing in the world and just told his story to 200 people and helped cook and had a great old time. And um, I was just like, 
I was blown away. Like he's just, he had changed so much in that few months. And the psychologist actually came to the seminar as well. And she was like totally in agreement. Yep. This is what's helped him. Um, within less than a year, he was off all medication. He's never been back on. He's now 22. Amazing. Um, yeah, he's, he's really done well. Like, I mean, everybody has days where they just eat something they shouldn't really, but that's just life and that's completely okay. But his general everyday meals are just simple, you know, meat and veg, um, maybe a bit of sourdough. So he's not gaps now. We aren't doing gaps now. We did that for a couple of years and then transitioned into more of a full whole food diet. But now I can eat dairy for cheese and butter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it took me a year to be able to have any dairy. I couldn't even eat ghee before that. Really? Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I got to the stage where, um, yeah, I was so unwell that I couldn't even manage ghee or butter. But after a year on gaps, um, yeah, I was good with any dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, the kids have really benefited from it. They've Mm -hmm. really learned to look after their diet and sometimes um, some better than others. But Isaac definitely has learned the hard way that what he eats really affects him. And even now he'll say to me, oh, mum, I've had a bit too much sugar or I've had a bit of vegetable oil when I'm out or whatever and, and I'm feeling anxious. Um, so they know, um, and also he gets the skin breakout. So that helps, you know, cause you know, you don't want that when you're a 22 year old. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you get a reminder yeah. on your face, it's very confronting. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good reminder. Um, so yeah, they've, he's just really, really, really learned from it. And he loves to share, you know, his story with others. And I often have parents contact me and say, you know, I've got a child with massive anxiety issues or OCD. Um, They won't listen to me about the importance of food. They won't listen to me about, you know, they need to hear it from someone else. They need to hear it from someone young. I'm like, give us a call. And Isaac gets on the phone and has a chat to them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's helped lots of kids. And it's just really lovely to see, um, to see him taking the response, taking all the kids taking responsibility for their own health. But that was, that was such a huge, horrible journey, but it became such a beautiful thing for our family. Yeah. I mean, so that was the, that was the short version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. There'd be so many more layers to that story. I mean, we're summarizing uh, many years, if not many decades in, you know, a very short period of time. There's a bunch of things in there that, that really ring true. Well, firstly, we love Pete Evans. He was on episode 68, okay. 68 of the podcast, um, ages okay. before COVID when we did it in person, like he flew down to Melbourne yeah. and we, we hung out, which was really cool. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, sort of obviously the world decided to hate Pete Evans for a while. Yes, that's right. Mm. <laughs> so no, I'm definitely a fan of Pete Evans. Um, been meaning <laughs> to catch up with him again soon. But um, but something oh, you nice. said in the beginning there, literally I had, con- I had a conversation yesterday with two of my clients. Um, one had breast cancer 30 years ago and one has a family member with breast cancer now. And both of them had mm. the exact same experience three decades apart, which is that the doctor of um, both of them in their cancer journey, they both were sort of holistically inclined or naturally inclined mm. and asked a question about nutrition. And obviously mm. the one that's got a family member experiencing it now, they're obviously a part of my world. So they're very holistically inclined mm. and mm. said was, you know, but in both scenarios, what about nutrition? And they were both given the same answer three decades apart, which is food doesn't have any impact on cancer. Wow. You think I, by now. Yeah. Right. Like, right. 
I mean, I, I personally know that from working in a cancer hospital and hearing people say that, mm. and, uh, you know, me asking the question of different people, just, I just got to a point where it was fun for me to collect data on, on my fellow doctors by asking them these, you know, questions. And, but it's, yeah, it's crazy that even three decades apart with everything that yeah. social media and the internet has provided us, that we still have doctors that are not thinking differently or even asking the question. Um, and to me, it yeah. seems so basic. It's like, okay, let's go back to like grade five science. What makes a human? Yes. The food you put into yeah. it. The end. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like what? you can take a little pill and it's going to change everything, but, oh, everything else you put in your mouth doesn't make a difference. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I can get on this bandwagon for days. But yeah. um, but, but I do have a good, a good ending to that story. Okay. Because the same doctor, when we went back six months, for a like six months check and he was just like powering through his CBT training like he, they were skipping whole sections and he went back for his checkup and she's like what and she's like get the doctors in student doctors come here listen to their story listen to what they're doing she bought my cookbook for all her staff so there you go oh that's a good and she's still a good, good friend that's a good turnaround <laughs> that's absolutely yeah. a turnaround. And, and that's I mean that's the interesting thing for myself as a scientist and as a you said you, you described yourself as a naturally curious person and I reflect mm. on my childhood and teen years and life and I'm very similar and the mm. idea that doctors and scientists go into that field and become not curious is is such yeah. a bizarre phenomenon because it's like the whole point of being a scientist in the way that I was taught about it before actually going to university was that they're the curious <laughs> minds that ask the hard questions. And then you realize the, with the bureaucracy and the economics and the pharmaceutical companies that, oh, you can only ask questions in this small, narrow lane over here. Yeah, it's only the approved <laughs> questions. <Yes. laughs> um, so I'm curious because and you would hear this all the time. It's probably why people end up in your world. But we hear conversations about being healthy is too hard. It's too hard to mm. cook all of the time. Meal prep is hard. And, and, you know, despite the fact there's literally 1 billion cookbooks on the, you know, on planet Earth <laughs> and probably more on other planets. But like people are so confronted by the idea of cooking for not for just healthy in general, not even just food intolerances. Mm. So I'm really curious from a practical perspective, like what are the myths there about how hard it really is? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. It's funny. It's probably not until the last two generations or so that we've ever thought that. 
you know, it was always just a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. And you, you, that's how you look after yourself and your family. Like why, I feel like it's marketing that's told us. That it's hard. That, oh, it's too hard. Let us do it for you. Have this lovely pizza pocket that you can pop in your microwave because you can't possibly boil an egg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, don't dumb us down. We can do this. Um, and there's so many things that are very simple that you can eat so well. Yeah. Um, without fuss. And sure, sometimes it's fun to make something a bit fussy, but keep that for the special days and the weekends and just do the simple stuff and stop stressing about it. Like I'm always, people often do message me and say, it's all too hard. It's all too hard. I'm like, buy your meat in bulk. And I tell them how, buy your veggie, you know, because they're also talking about your spence and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, you know, do it like this, buy it like this so that you can get a lot at once for a smaller amount per kilo have it in the freezer, thaw it out the night before, make yourself a steak with a few veggies or a salad or even just sauerkraut for dinner. I have steak, sauerkraut and butter on my steak and that's a meal. Oh, absolutely, (laughs) me too. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Breakfast, lunch or dinner. Yep, completely. And, um, you know, there's so many simple, like I'll just list a few things really quickly, have this or this or this and they're like, oh, because I think people get the idea that, You've got to be making something like a recipe for dinner. It's like, no, just chuck a piece of meat on the pan and have whatever veggies you can find, even if it's one veggie. Well, and depending on your intolerances, it's as easy as Mm. one spice to make it interesting. Like it could literally be onion powder literally makes everything in the world better. Like, you know, so reliable. Smoked paprika, come on. Yes, Oh, totally. The good Spanish one. Yeah, no, and, and you just need like one spice. And, and, and even these days, obviously, yeah. there's spice mixes that you can buy and and so it's, a lot of it's done for you. Oh. Yeah, exactly, behind you. There's tons <laughs> of them um, and we've got tons of them in the kitchen here as well. But but I, yeah. I think you're so right because the thing that seems to have been lost on people is that the the, the, the preparation of food and the sitting down and consumption of food mm. is literally a life-saving task that we do mm. every single day. And now it's something that's regarded yeah. as not important to do. You don't have to be present for it. You don't have to cook it yourself. You don't have to be engaged in the process and mm. consequence, you know, causation, correlation, whatever it might be, is that, you know, we're now in a world of overweight, sick and dying people. And that's the norm, right? Because we're no longer prioritizing this food part of the conversation. Yeah. But what people don't always put together in their mind is that time that you didn't want to spend in the kitchen and you didn't want to spend shopping and you didn't want to spend sitting down with your family eating, you're spending at the doctors and the psychologist and the dentist and, um, I don't know, health coach. And you could just be doing it simply in the kitchen. Oh, completely. And (laughs) this is one of the conversations that comes up when I talk to people about the services that I provide because prevention is really hard to sell because it's like Mm. statistically different groups of people will spend way more money on their health journey later in life tens of thousands of dollars and not just on the medication but all of the other services they need because they're they're not Mm -hmm. as fit anymore and their joints don't work and they might need a walker or they might need things installed in their home and it's this this number just accumulates and so it's like sure maybe being healthy can be a little bit more expensive in the moment but not as expensive as spending the rest of your superannuation on not dying tomorrow (laughs) exactly exactly so anyway I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> no, 
Totally agree. <laughs> but coming into Christmas time, so food intolerances yeah. are so normal. It's obviously normal, especially in Melbourne and probably around the world. But I know Melbourne's mm. a very health conscious city in the context of cities in the world. But like everywhere mm-hmm. you go, there's vegan options, there's veggie options. If you're in a really decent place, there's FODMAP options. So coming into Christmas with families that are starting to deal with all of these different requests mm. from their kids, from their kids' kids, um, like how do we prepare for Christmas for food intolerances? Yeah, I was thinking about this because I grew up in a Texan family. My parents are Texan. I know I don't sound like it, but I was born here. And um, Christmas was all about sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Sugar and fat. <laughs> um, so like the first thing we ate in the morning was probably things out of our stocking, like lollies and candy canes and chocolates and that. And then we would sit down to a sweet breakfast, like cinnamon scrolls with icing. And, um, you know, we would have all homemade, but still, um, (laughs) all the, this, there was so much sugar and my mum, bless her. I love her pecan pie, but I can only eat like one bite because it's so sweet. (laughs) Um, and, um, just growing up in a society where that's the norm, is really hard for when you start changing your diet and you start going to family dinners and parties and Christmas and you're the weird one. Um, that's where the name Quirky came from, by the way, because ah. I used to always be the weird one and the odd one out. So I get, used gotcha. to get called Quirky, so Quirky Cooking. Um, so I started um, bringing healthier options to Christmas and to family things and I'd get a lot of eye rolls at first. Um, but my secret is to find or find or develop really delicious versions of things that people love that are made with healthier ingredients. Um, so instead of the corn syrup and the whatever in the pecan pie, I use dates. I use um, like a bit of honey. I use real butter instead of whatever. I don't know what <laughs> some people use in their pecan pies anymore. Um, and so I would make my own version and I'd do like an almond meal pastry or whatever and people would still love it. Um, at first <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell people that it was gluten-free, dairy-free, whatever, because otherwise they'd do the big eye roll and wouldn't have any, although that is a good way to save leftovers. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, one, one party I went to, um, I said I was going to bring, my friend said she was going to bring a Mars bar cheesecake and I was like, I didn't say anything. I just said, well, I'll bring something as well. She goes, Joe, no one's going to want your gluten-free, dairy-free stuff. And I was like, right. So I developed this recipe for a gluten-free, dairy-free crock and bush with um, Rapajura toffee and dairy-free chocolate pastry cream. And anyway, made this big crock and bush, took it off to the party, and that went before her Mars bar cheesecake. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, Health yes. wins. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's what I tell people. Just make it super delicious with really nutritious ingredients and people are going to love it. You don't have to tell them it's gluten-free, it's dairy-free, it's GAPS, it's paleo. Don't even tell them if you want them to eat it. <laughs> yeah. um, just make something really. And that's that's sort of my focus with recipes is making versions that everyone will eat with a lot of variations so you can change it up to make it suitable for a lot of people. Um, so you'll notice in my cookbook that under the recipes there's a lot of variations. I think if you can get people's taste buds to talk before their mind talks, then you are on a winner. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and look and think about how many foods and recipes and traditional famous 
um, recipes that everybody loves are made with nutritious ingredients and there's really yeah. not much tweaking to be done. Um, yeah. So find those recipes and sort of start there. Do you think in the yeah. preparation process when you're leading up to Christmas and trying to prepare lots of different food for different people, is there some kind of strategy to lessen the burden on the chef or the mum or the grandma or whoever's yes. responsible for that? Definitely. I wrote an article on this once. It was in the Good Good Food magazine. I can give you the link afterwards if you want it. Um, but just there's just um, a few steps that I put in there to help people, like, first of all, ask around before you go too far down the menu planning route. Just talk with everyone who's coming, figure out what they can and what they can't eat, um, how to keep their food safe. Like, if, for instance, if someone's celiac, um, you may want to just say, hey, guys, this is going to be a gluten-free dinner. It depends how sensitive they are. Mm -hmm. um, like you may need to make it a completely gluten-free dinner. But just asking around first and especially if you're hosting, um, it's really nice for people to feel like, oh, they care about, you know, yeah. finding food that will suit me. That's really nice. Um but then also get everybody to bring a dish. Like we always do that in our family. Everybody brings pretty much a main, a salad or a side and a dessert or sweets. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have, oh, goodness, we have a large family. <laughs> so we have this huge table of deliciousness and it's just amazing. So there's always something for everyone. And then all the pressure's not on the one person hosting. Yeah. Um, I much prefer to do it that way. Um, but you can also do things like keeping um, serving sources on the side so that they're separate, um, having things sort of in different dishes if you need to so that they're not, you know, cross-contaminated. Um, but then also, it depends if it's allergies or intolerances. Um, but then really just use good quality, beautiful produce to dress up the dishes so that um, what may be actually quite simple looks amazing. So you've got all these beautiful, colourful vegetables, you've got, you know, butter glazes or salads that are colourful with roasted seeds and fresh herbs and cranberries or sour cherries or whatever. Um, so just being creative with your ingredients but using ingredients that anyone can have. And also um, I find it just really helps to, yeah, keep it simple. Um, don't let it become stuff that you have to spend hours in the kitchen doing. Make it quite simple. So, for instance, a roast turkey um, with a like a gluten-free cornbread stuffing. My mum always does cornbread stuffing. Um, we can fix that quite simply and it it's, kind of suits everyone unless they're doing grain-free, then they don't eat the stuffing. Um, you can always have a beautiful slow-cooked lamb shoulder um, with the crispy fat on top mm, and sounds um, delicious. a delicious, yeah, it's so good, um, a delicious Moroccan salad with quinoa or cauliflower couscous um, with all the dried fruit and nuts and pistachios and spices and then you have it on a big serving tray and you your roast lamb shoulder on top and it just looks amazing. Um, you can do things like, um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I've done in, in the past that have been really popular with people who are not on healthy diets or of, on any restrictions. Um, that's, that's me. So, I'm that person. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Are you? Don't have any. That's you're nice and healthy. Yeah. Well, that's interesting (laughs) as a nutritionist for myself that most people get into this world because something wasn't right for them. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I I got into this world out of anger at the system that I was working in as a cancer scientist. That's so interesting. Yeah. I was just like, people are being lied to. And then began my journey (laughs) being branded a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, The nicest people are. Um, I was going to say. Yes. Just as you mentioned before, um, I had another conversation just this week with a client who's actually in Queensland too. She's just grown okay. her first vegetables. And when you were saying get good produce, I think something yeah. that is often missed in the conversation about eating healthy in general, but also at Christmas time, is that often we want to go towards foods that are sugar loaded because we want to feel mm-hmm. indulgent and we want our palate to yes. be satiated, not just our stomach to be satiated, but our palate. And and mm. what comes from really great quality produce and homegrown stuff is the flavor of the actual vegetables is much exactly. higher. And so the flavor yeah. the flavor and the palate is much more satisfied and less likely to go looking for sugar um, and those other exactly. things that are likely to contain the things that you're intolerant to. Yep, totally agree. And if you're buying like beautiful fresh asparagus or Brussels sprouts, I know that's a controversial vegetable, but it can be made very delicious. And I can help with that. <laughs> um, you know, if you're buying really fresh, seasonal, local vegetables and um, preparing them in a way that's not cooked to death, um, it's it's just such a delicious thing. And especially if you've got good fats with them, like butter and more butter, and um, good <laughs> even things, even simple things like really good quality salt and pepper. Like I find people will say to me. Like I'll tell them about the importance of meat stocks for your gut health and they're like, oh, but I made Mm. chicken broth and it was disgusting and I'm like, well, how did you make it? And usually people overcook, you know, really long, long, long cooking. They don't have good salt. They don't have good pepper. They have some pepper off the supermarket shelf that's come from India three years ago. I have local pepper that's seasonal. Um, Mm -hmm. they have, you know, maybe chicken that's four weeks old from Woolies, um, instead of a free range chicken that's run around and gotten more and more tasty with age. Um, so just simple things like that make a huge difference to flavor and chefs know this and they use these tricks. And if you know anything about French cooking, they use a lot of butter or duck fat or, (laughs) um, and that's where you get the flavor. Um, so you don't have to have heaps of sugar and bread and starches. You can have really simple meat and veg kind of meals and just get so much flavor. Yeah, I totally agree. My sister's actually a head chef um, and ah. she yeah, she works in the countryside in country Victoria. And, yeah, when she started her last job a couple of years ago now, she did the whole going to go meet all the farmers in the area and figure out what's around. And whenever you see that either written on a menu or you ask somebody at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. like, how do you source your food? Um, And and you hear an answer like that, it builds my confidence. Um, There was somebody just recently in the area that I've moved to that was promoting their meal delivery business. They just started up. Um, and I was probably the annoying person that was like, I've got about 10 difficult questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
And did they pass with flying colours or no? No, but I also appreciated that oh. they were in the start of their business journey and many yeah. chefs are also not conscious of this kind of stuff, mm. generally speaking, um, in the sense yeah. of like what vegetable oils do to your gut and, you know, what the sugar in marinades mm-hmm. do and all of the colour additives and, and a lot of people are very new yeah. to that. So I'm hoping that those questions yeah. possibly invoked curiosity that will later oh, yeah. lead to, yeah. <laughs> to, to something. Yeah, but, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I think if you could find restaurants and suppliers and stuff that have gone out to the farms and and communicate with the people around them for for the food and nutrition or the food and produce that they bring into the kitchens like you're on a winner oh definitely well I was gonna say like what do you think people need to do and this might be healthy people or intolerant people because sometimes the people with intolerances um they know that they're gonna go into Christmas and they're gonna eat it they're gonna they don't care they love yeah. it. So do you feel Been that, there, done that. Yeah, totally. Do you feel that there's a way <laughs> to prepare people's guts before Christmas yeah. and after mm-hmm. Christmas, knowing that they're gonna go in and eat whatever they want? <laughs> I do. This happened to me recently because um my daughters and I were going over to Italy and France and Spain and we were just like, we wanna eat all the bread and all the croissants and all the pastries when we are there and all the gelato. (laughs) So I was like, right. So I did a couple of weeks of of gaps intro Mm -hmm. before I went, just like getting all the meat stock in and the fermented veggies and the good fats and no starches, no sugars. And by the time we left, I was just like, yes, I feel so good. And I ate whatever the whole time I was away, didn't get sick, and the difference was my daughters did not prepare. <laughs> they both got sick. Right. And we were staying in the same room and they were coughing and sick and I was just fine. And I find if I really prepare, like if I really work on my gut health and really just be ready for something like that, um, I cope really well. Um, back in the old days when I used to live on starches and breads, um, I would have crashed within a couple of days. And so, so, so you did gaps yeah. in the lead up. What kind of foods do you th- would you prioritise leading up to the Christmas feast? So um, plenty of meat stocks, so short-cooked stocks, not long broths. So, um, Is that due to histamines? For instance, just, yeah, and also just because it's more healing for the gut, it's more rich in the amino acids. So you've got the, um, say, chicken pieces with the meat on the bone or you can do you can do a meaty carcass as long as you've got some gelatinous pieces in there so some wings feet head all that kind of stuff (laughs) if you can um and just covered in water some good salt and pepper simmer it for two hours as soon as the meat's you know just really easily coming off the bone it's ready um same with beef lamb pork fish as soon as the meat's coming off the bone it's ready so the beef lamb sort of ones, they're more like three to four hours. Um, fish is more like half an hour to one hour. Um, and then have stock with every meal that you can, like as much as possible, have stock-based meals, like soupy kind of, I know it's hot weather, well, at least it is here, um, <laughs> sit in the aircon and drink your stock. Um, <laughs> so just having the the stock throughout the day and um yeah, trying to get that in as much as possible in meals and drinking some. Also the sauerkraut, homemade or bought, that's a good one in the fridge section, not on the shelf because mm. that's been, um, what is it, pasteurised. Yeah. Um, if you can get raw dairy, yay, but probably most of us can't. So at least organic 
non-homogenized um, dairy and, you know, good quality butter and cheeses and things like that. Um, I make my own sour cream and yogurt and ferment it for 24 hours to get the like really good bacteria in there. Um, so, you know, if you, if you're just really focusing on those meat and veg type meals, um, and plenty of stocks and fermented foods, milk kefir, um, I drink that every day. Um, then you're getting what you need. And also just remember to avoid the processed foods, especially vegetable oils and sugars, um, and sugar, you know, lowers your immune system. So keep away from that. Um, and then you'll just find that you just feel like at first, if you're not used to eating this way, it can cause a bit of a crash, but then the energy picks up. So you may have to ease into it. And there's so much more, you know, for each person being different, whether you need to have, um, a tiny bit of stock or a tiny bit of sauerkraut at first, you may not cope with a lot. I'm just used to it. So I can eat as much as I want. Um, but if you do have trouble with histamines or salicylates or anything, you'd have to start super slowly. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I always tell clients when I introduce them to fermented food, I literally Mm. say teaspoon to half a teaspoon, start (laughs) really slow because you might be running to the toilet very rapidly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? When we first started GAPS, that's what happened to me. We went, um, I was like on week two of GAPS and I wasn't supposed to be having fermented food yet, but I went down to Melbourne for a seminar trip. And do you remember brothel that was down there? Um, yeah. Matt Stones, I think it's Matt Stones. Yeah. And I was like, it was around the corner from me. I was like, yay, I can have broths. <laughs> and I went there and they stuck a big spoonful of kimchi in my broth. Oh my goodness. That Uh-oh. was not good on a, on a day that I was doing seminars. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, if you're not used to it, go slow. <laughs> and coming out the other side of Christmas, would you just advise exactly the same thing to rebuild the gut from any damage that it's Yeah, incurred? I would. A lot of people do um, in January sort of do a bit of a cleanse. And when I say a cleanse, I'm not talking about celery juice and kale smoothies. I'm talking about protein at every meal, good fats, plenty of meat stocks, organ meats. Um, That's the kind of cleanse I do. So, Yeah, yeah. I'm on board. And, and, And charcoal if you need it, which it's an hour away from food. Yeah, for that sure. helps with the um, yeah, <laughs> with the things that you shouldn't have had. <laughs> <laughs> I found charcoal to be so beneficial for detox, like it's yeah, incredible. But I guess so the the thing to mention, just as a caveat for those listening, is that charcoal picks up nutrients just as much as it picks up mm-hmm. toxins. So, yeah, having it with a handful of supplements is a bad idea. Having it close to food mm-hmm. is a bad idea, um, and it's and yeah. it will still pick up the nutrition that's in your um, gastrointestinal lining. Um, so it's important to be you know you can go too hard on a detox and it can pull out mm. a lot of nutrition so make sure you're being yeah. wise about how you take things like charcoal um yes yeah no this has been a great conversation I love uh, you make it sound so easy and that's like I really want people to take that away because it's just it's yeah. so not hard and you're so right we it's only that's the last right. couple of generations that have started calling cooking hard and then the previous mm. like hundred thousand however depending on your belief system <laughs> yeah. of how long you've been here um nobody had an issue with it it was just what you no. did to sustain human life you know honestly most of the time I chuck a lump of frozen meat in a pot cover it with some stock or water start it simmering walk away after a couple of hours I come back add some veggies <laughs> <laughs> some herbs oh perfect add plenty of ghee 
Yeah. So it doesn't have to be hard and it can still be very delicious as long as you're using quality ingredients. Yeah, totally. So Mm. for everybody that obviously loves you by this point, because you're amazing, um, where can everybody (laughs) find you and your stuff and your book online? And we'll put all of those links down below for them. Okay. So it's quirkycooking.com.au and you'll find everything there. I'm on Instagram and I don't know, YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn and all those places. Um, Not Twitter because I can't keep up. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, oh, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Sorry. See, can't keep up. Uh, <laughs> um, but I do share a lot of videos in my stories on social media. Um, I try to share like just everyday cooking, um, not professional edited videos. It's just like, this is what I'm cooking right now. Um, this is the kind of salt I use. This is this is the kind of pan I use. Um, this is how I make omelets, you know, really basic stuff because I think people get so caught up in that it's too hard that I like them to see, no, it's so simple. Just don't overthink it. Um, so that's, yeah, if you feel like you need a bit of help, um, there's that. I also do weekly cooking classes with my sister, which is a lot of fun on Mondays. Um, so that's like a monthly subscription. Um, so we cook together on Mondays and do a cook up for the week. And I know Mondays is a weird day for most people, but you can watch the replay if you can't be Mm -hmm. there. Um, I do have a lot of past cooking classes that are replays that you can buy as well. Um, heaps of videos on YouTube and on the, on the, on the blog, there's a videos tab and you can click on cooking videos and scroll through those as well. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm and my a- books are on the website. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, I'll put all of those links down below and everybody should get their hands on the books and all of your stuff. This book, I was just saying to Joe before we hit record, like this book, uh, The Simple Healing Food, is <laughs> it feels so luxurious. Like there's not many cookbooks <laughs> that feel like this high quality. <laughs> yeah, it's got the it's got the texture. I like it. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up and heading into Christmas for everybody, but also knowing that people will listen to this episode within the years to come, but what is one piece <laughs> of health information that you wish more people knew about? Relax. That's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, I went through many, many years very highly strung. Um, my, my um, what do you call it? I was just like always on edge, always rushing, always busy. And I remember the first time I really realized that because it becomes so normal that you don't realize that you're like that. And, um, I was having an appointment with a hormone specialist and I'm sure, you know, Nat Gringitis. And, um, she said to me, um, are you stressed? And I'm like, no, I'm not stressed. I love my job. I, I love homeschooling. I love my kids. I love where I live. She goes, let me put that another way are you always rushing and always busy? I'm like, yeah, (laughs) is that a problem? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I'm the kind of person that jumps out of bed at 5.30 a.m., dashes out to the garden, starts gardening, comes back in, cleans the whole kitchen, cooks something, videos it, puts it on social media, like that's just me. But Mm -hmm. I've learned to relax a lot more and I've learned to just sit in the sunshine. So I'll get up now and I'll just sit in the early morning sunshine. I try to get sunshine on my skin a few times in the day, so different UV and all that. Um, I have a hammock that I go and lay in, stare at the trees. Um, I love reading books Um, and I've found that, as I've learned to slow down and relax, 
my health has gotten better. So mm. I know a lot of it's food, but I think a lot of it is also just learning to slow down, learning not to, it's a, it's a learned thing to not be so busy and just learn to say no. Yeah. I, so yeah, I think that's so get important. outside and sit. Yeah, completely. And I mean, we could probably... Be- so it wasn't to do with food, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we could do a whole complete podcast on the relationship between stress and gut health, right? Like that's yes, the, definitely. So many hormones are released into the gut that are related to stress and the way that we digest yeah. food. And and so, yeah, I think yep. that's sound advice um, from yep. one busy person to many. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, Joe. Just sit down. Thanks so much for hanging out on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we'll catch you again soon because there's so many things we could talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we could. Thank you. All right, see you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional. Thank you.